Uh, my name is John O'Brien, uh, and I'll be uh, preaching tonight. I'm one of the, um, the people who attend here and get microphones to speak. So that's an honor and a privilege, uh, and I, I appreciate you all sitting there and listening to me for two and a half hours. <laughs> that's a joke. It won't be two and a half hours. It'll be like 30 minutes. But um, it's super exciting to be here, and we are in the middle of a series called In the Wild. Uh, that is circumstantially, not circumstantially, through design, also in the name of the Young Adults Overnighter. Uh, if you haven't signed up for that yet, you need to, because what will happen? Who here knows what FOMO is? FOMO, FOMO, for those of you who are uneducated, is fear of missing out, right? And often FOMO is a bad thing. We do stupid things because we think that we'll miss out if we don't. In this case, you need to have positive FOMO. If you don't go to the Young Adults Overnighter, you will miss out, right? It's that simple. If you uh, cannot go because of money, you can go now because we'll find a way for you to go. If you can't go because you can't get a ride, we will uh, piggyback you all the way there, right? There is no reason that you can't go unless you are out of the city, in which case you're probably in Auckland or Dunedin, and there's one there as well. So uh, we've got you sorted. Make sure you're there. It's going to be fantastic. So we are in the middle of a series. I'm speaking as fast as like a car auctioner. We are in the middle of a series uh, called In the Wild, right? <laughs> and we're talking about what does it mean to be in the wild? What does it mean to be a people that are living in the wild, a people that are living an uncomfortable lifestyle, a people that are putting themselves uh, on the front line? who are saying, God, I don't want to be just someone in the church again. I don't want to be just wrapped up in my own space. This morning, somehow, uh, No Church in the Wild made it onto the pre-service playlist. For those of you who don't know it, that's a song by Jay-Z, Kanye West, and Frank Ocean. And it does have quite a few swearing words in it. But uh, I do love the idea of it that actually they're talking about that there should be church in the wild. We could play it, but it wouldn't work. There'd be like, no church in the beep, 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 beep. Um, but it, see, church needs to be wild, Right, church needs to be in the wild because the people that need to know the good news aren't living in the suburbs. They're not living in the easy places. In fact, if they're in the suburbs, the suburbs are wild, right? The wild needs to be where we are. So tonight, I want to talk to you about maybe one of the most famous stories in the Bible about the wild. We're going to turn, turn with me to Numbers chapter 11, verses 4 to 6. Right, we're going to look at the people of Israel in a moment when they're in the wild, but they're not super pleased about it. We're going to put it up on the screen now. Oh, look at that. That actually flew out of my hand. That was amazing. All right, so a uh, bit of background. They've just come out of slavery, and this is what's happening. It says this, the riffraff among them had a craving, and soon they had the people of Israel whining. Why can't we have meat? We ate fish in Egypt and got it free. To say nothing of the cucumbers and melons, the leeks and onions and garlic, but nothing tastes good out here. All we get is mana, mana, mana. Why don't you bow your heads with me and we're going to pray and then we get started. God, I thank you that we get to come into this space, that we get to open our hearts to what you want to say. I thank you that you love us so much, that we have the honor and the privilege of gathering together and being informed by who you are, that, that we don't have to be our gods, that we don't have to make everything work, but that we can turn to you, that we can turn our attention to you. And I pray for whoever walked in today, God, whatever state they walked in, and I pray that when they leave this place, they'll know at least that you love them unconditionally. They'll know at least that you love them extravagantly. They'll know at least that they are prized and precious to you. But I pray more so that we would leave changed, God, that we would walk in and we would leave with, with a, um, 
a knowledge that you want to do something through us, that you've called us to be a people, you've called us to change things, that we would leave here with different hearts than when we walked in. In your name, Jesus, amen. Very cool. I'm sweating already, but luckily I bought my handkerchief, so it's, uh, it's on. We're going to get... We're going to get on. We're going to get on, right? We're going to get turned, but in a good way. So here we are. God has done a miracle, right? Here the people of Israel are, and they've been in captivity for years. They have been slaves, right? They have been in slavery. Has anyone here ever been a slave? Right, right. Oh, um, congratulations on your emancipation. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't have gone there. I should have just ignored it. But anyway, right? So they're in this place and they've been slaves and God has just freed them. He's just taken them out of slavery. And when they were being chased by the people that had put them in slavery, that's Egypt, they had run through this place called the Red Sea. You heard me right, the Red Sea, and they'd run through it. See, what happened is it was an ocean and Jesus, sorry, Jesus God, God decided that it should not be an ocean anymore for a specific little period of it. That instead what should happen is the water should stack up on one side and the other side, and they should walk through on the bottom of the ocean. It's pretty cool, right? We'll get, you can, you'll warm up. We'll get there. We'll get there, right? So what's happening is they've walked through this ocean. The ocean has crashed back behind them, and the Egyptians who are following them couldn't chase them anymore and couldn't take them hostage, which is awesome because the Israelites were running away on foot, and the Egyptians had chariots. Who here has ever tried to outrun a car? No, no one else. I've tried to outrun a car. Who here has ever succeeded in outrunning a car? Was the car turned on? It wasn't, I bet you. Right, outrunning a car is pretty hard. Outrunning a chariot is also pretty hard. So it's a good thing that God helped the people out. So here we go. Now they're on their way to the promised land, to the land that they can own, the land that can be their land, the land that is gonna be the most amazing place they've ever been. And they turn to God and they say, we want to go back to Egypt. We want to go back to slavery, which is ridiculous, right? But what I want to look at is why. Why would they be in the wild on the way to their destiny, on the way to who they should be, on the way to everything that God has called them for, and yet they're saying, actually, we would really prefer to go back to that place that we had no freedom. Actually, we would really prefer to go back to slavery. See, it could be for the leeks, garlic, onions, and meat. Right, that, that's what they say there. They say, we would like to go back because there we had cucumbers and melons, leeks and onion and garlic. But I want to know, why in the world would you want to go back to slavery for fish and leeks? Because I don't really think I actually know what leeks are. Right, and so to go back to having no freedom for a vegetable that you don't fully understand isn't the best plan in the world. See, it's pretty, it's pretty suspicious that this is their only reason, that really they're just sick of the food they have and that they'd much rather trade their freedom for food. Who here has ever thought, maybe I would trade my freedom for food? You know, when you're really hungry and McDonald's is just around the corner and your friend's like, I'll buy you that if you'll be my slave for the rest of your life. And you're like, okay, deal. See, this is the space they're in, except that situation isn't like a joke. This is real. They're saying, let's go back to the place where our firstborn children were consistently killed. Let's go back to the place where we had no rights, where we were worked to death, where people despised us. Let's do that because the food tasted pretty good. All right, see, tonight I want to ask you a question. Can you be free and frustrated? Can you be free and frustrated? Have you ever had a moment in church that you'll never forget? 
right? A moment in church where, where everything lined up, where everything fell into place. That, that moment, maybe it was that shout, and you realized that you felt God's love. Maybe it was at an uprising and you realized that God has called you for so much more than you ever imagined before. Maybe it was an equipper's one and you realized that there was a God and he did love you and he wanted to be in relationship with you. Maybe it was on the floor of your bedroom and you said, God, I'm sick of this life. I need something. And God opened the heavens to you and said, I've called you for a purpose. You're not worthless. You're not broken. You're not discarded. I'm going to pick you up and put you back together and use you for more than you've ever imagined. Have you ever had a moment? See, but often what happens is that moment that, that feels amazing, that moment when we choose to follow Jesus, it's awesome. But the only problem is, is as soon as we walk out of that building, we have to start making daily decisions. See, there's nothing like that moment, that moment when Jesus becomes real to you, when you reach out to God. See, our, our faith is based on the idea that God can change you in one moment. That God can change you in one moment. See, all other religions in the world say that man has to come to God. That man has to earn his way to God. That man has to be good enough, has to, has to gain the levels, has to ascend to a level of being able to be loved by God. And Christianity is the only religion in the world that says God comes to man. But not only does God come to man, God comes to man with arms outstretched wide on the cross. God comes to man broken and bleeding for us when we never deserved it. My favorite scripture at the moment is in Romans. It says, maybe, maybe a man could be convinced to die for a good man. Maybe a man could be, could be convinced, could be uh, just, you know, strong-armed into dying for someone who is good. But while we were still sinners, while we still fell so short, Christ, who was sinless, died for us. See, Christianity is the only religion in the world where God meets man. See, God is able to do things now. You can go from, from hurt, you can go from broken, you can go from unforgiven, you can go from so messed up, and in a moment, God can transform you. In a moment, God can meet you. In a moment, you can go from sin covered to blameless in the eyes of God through the blood of Jesus. Turn with me to John chapter 5, verse 24. It says this, this is Jesus speaking. It's urgent, it's urgent that you listen carefully to this. Anyone here who believes what I am saying right now and aligns himself with the Father, who has in fact put me in charge, has at this very moment the real and lasting life and is no longer condemned to be an outsider. This person has taken a giant step from the world of the dead to the world of, of the living. I almost just lost my language. Right? This person, let's do it again, has taken a giant step from the world of the dead to the world of the living. See, this verse in John chapter 5 is pointing to something that happens in Exodus chapter 14. Something that has just happened to these people that we've already read about, this Israelite people who are now complaining about fish and leeks. See, what happens is scholars and theologians tell us that this here in Exodus 14 is the clearest biblical picture of what happens to us when we get saved. That this is a picture of what happens, what we go through when we choose to accept Jesus' death for us. See, when the children of Israel are walking through the Red Sea and out of slavery and into the promised land, that's exactly what happens when we're saved. We're taken out of slavery. We're taken out of, out of bondage. We're taken out of having no rights, out of being broken, out of being beat down. And we're taken into a place where we are free. 
and we are walking into our destiny. We're walking into our promised land. We're walking into all that God has for us. See why? Because for 400 years, the Israelite people were in slavery. They were in slavery and bondage. They were under depression and oppression. And in one night, they go from being slaves to being saved. In one moment, they're freed from 400 years of having no rights. See, God is able to bring you deliverance in one night. They were stuck for 400 years. How can you say that you've been stuck where you are for too long? If you're here tonight and you're saying, God could never save me. God can never work on me. I've been too bad for too long. Has it been 400 years? Because it was done after 400 years. However long you've been carrying what you've got, it's not too long. So what caused their freedom, right? Why did these Israelite people get to go from being slaves to being free? What was it? Was it their morality? Were they, were they good enough, right? It's not, it's not exactly like God promised, if you behave, I'll free you. Right, if, if you turn a couple of verses back, it's not like God's like, hey, guys, I've got a deal, like your parents might. If you clean your room, Israelite people, listen up. If you clean your rooms for one week, all of you clean your rooms, then I'll free you from slavery. Right, and they were like, oh, sweet. So they all clean their rooms for one week, and God's like, awesome. Part the Red Seas, off you go. Didn't happen, right? Someone's like, that happened? No, didn't happen, right? Important didn't happen. It wasn't their high level of faith, right? There were probably some people who were walking through the Red Sea who, who trusted God all along, but there were probably some other people walking right next to them who weren't really sure who God was, who weren't really sure what was happening, and yet they were right next to the other people walking through the middle of the ocean. So why did God save them? If it had nothing to do with their deeds, it must have had something to do with their needs, Right, see, what happens is they asked God. And so often what happens to us is we end up shutting our mouths and we think that nothing is happening, but we haven't asked God to do anything. We haven't asked God for freedom. We haven't asked God to intervene on our behalf. So you've got to see that, that Jesus is all over the story. What's going on here, like many scriptures in the Old Testament, this is a shadow of what happens in the New Testament. This story is a shadow of what Jesus does when he dies for our sins. See, I, I love this. See, a person's shadow has, has to do what they do, right? Does everyone understand that? Look, there's a shadow there. I'm waving. It's waving. If it started not waving, that would be weird, right? You agree? I'm glad it waved. Right, but a person's shadow has to do what they do. When I wave, my shadow has to start waving. And the shadow is also proof that I am real and that there is light in the room, right? Basic science, we're getting there, we're getting there. But... When Jesus stood in the light of who he was, it cast a shadow of who he was. The Old Testament is a shadow of Christ. We see ideas in the Old Testament that will be fulfilled in who Christ is. See, a shadow isn't all of a person. You can't tell someone's eye color from a shadow. You can't really tell if they're super handsome from a shadow. Looking at my shadow, you might never know that I'm ridiculously good looking. Right, but a shadow gives us an idea of what's going to come. It's a preview of what Christ is going to do when he steps into history. See, so in this story, if, if this is happening, then the Israelite people in the story would be a shadow of us, right? Because they're being freed. They're being taken from slaves into freedom. And the Egyptians would be a shadow of, of who Satan is, an oppressor, an opponent, someone who wants to take us back into bondage, back into the place that, that we were broken and hurting. And Moses 
is a shadow of Jesus. See, Moses is the guy who's leading the Israelites away from Egypt, who's saying, follow me and I'll take you from this place of slavery into a place of freedom. See, and Jesus is the one who comes and delivers ultimate freedom. See, so what happens is, is these Israelite people are a shadow of us, right? That's all you need to pick up from that. If the rest of it was a little bit too low, whoa, just don't worry, right? The Israelite people are a shadow of us. And as soon as they get through that Red Sea, as soon as they're on the other side, as soon as they're safe, they start to party, right? In fact, the first recorded praise song in the Bible is in that moment. In that moment when they're on the other side of the sea and they're partying and they're saying, God, this is amazing. You've saved us. You've set us free. We're so grateful for who you are. But just like us, when we leave that moment when we've decided to follow Jesus, when we leave church, when we leave that moment that we can be on a high, that moment like a conference or, or a Sunday or whatever it is, they're confronted with a question, a question that we have to face every day. Who am I now? Now that the service is finished, now that the music stopped, now that the lights are turned down, now that no one's preaching at me anymore, now that I'm not surrounded by my good friends, who am I now? Who am I in this space when it's just me and Jesus, when it's just me going about my life? See, I know that, that I'm no longer a slave, right? I know that I've been saved, but how do I walk in that when I've been a slave for so long? How do I walk in my freedom when maybe all I've ever known is bondage? I know I'm out of Egypt, but how do I get the Egypt out of me? See, the Israelites were slave, but, but then God freed them and their status changed. Right? The Israelite people got to the other side of the Red Sea and they pulled out their iPhones, opened up Facebook. They scrolled down, they went status, changed it from slaves to free. Sweet, done. Facebook official and kept on walking. Right, but their status has changed. So how do you get your behavior to align with your new status? How do you get your behavior to align with who you are now? And it can be frustrating, right? You can be out of Egypt and not have the Egypt out of you. You know you've, you know you had an experience with God, but, but sometimes you can still have some Egypt mentalities and behaviors in you. That's when you start to make statements like, if I, then X, Y, Z. Right, for example, if I have the peace of God, why am I stressed out? If I have Jehovah Jireh, if I have God as my provider, if the one who made the universe is on my side and wanting to meet my needs, why can't I find a job? If I have the mind of Christ, why do I keep on thinking of stuff that wise men would not be thinking about? If I have the discipline of Christ, if I'm in Christ, if His power is through me, why do I keep on making these mistakes? Why do I keep on going to these places? Why do I keep on falling down in these same ways? And it's frustrating to be in this place of freedom and yet behaving like we're not. To have the status of a free man and be behaving like a slave. See, it's from this, this place of frustration that scriptures like Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 come from. The heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful, a puzzle that no one can figure out. Or Romans chapter 7 verse 15 to 16, what I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. See, this is proof that you're out of Egypt, but Egypt isn't out of you. That people writing the Bible could be out of Egypt, 
but struggling with this feeling that Egypt wasn't out of them. See, Christianity initially is a change of status. But after that, more than that, it's a change of behavior. The Israelites were slaves, but then God freed them, and so their status was changed. So now how do you get your behavior to align with your status? Here's an example. In our building, some of you might not know, the tenants above us are called the multicultural services, right? And what they do is they help uh, refugees coming into New Zealand to assimilate into New Zealand culture. To, to figure out how do I fit into this New Zealand society, what things are different to where I've come from, what things are similar, how do I do groceries, how do I do banking, where do I live, what's, what's an okay thing to say to someone, what's a not okay thing to say to someone, in some cases, how do I speak English, right? They help people come into the space and adapt to living in New Zealand, which is a great thing, right? And so often what happens is they'll come into New Zealand, they'll go through a, a, a kind of course of stuff, and then they'll become a New Zealand citizen which means that their status is the same as yours or mine, pretty much. They're a citizen of New Zealand. They are afforded the rights of a New Zealander. But if, if someone had, say, one day they, they went to sleep and then they woke up the next day and that was the day that they became a New Zealand citizen and they went to whatever the process was and, and they shook whoever's hand, sometimes it's a mayor, sometimes it's someone else, they shook someone's hand, became a New Zealand citizen, filled out the paperwork, had some photos, great day. They wouldn't then walk up to you afterwards and be like, Kia ora, I'm a New Zealand citizen. They would probably still have the accent of the country that they came from. They would probably still have the mannerisms of the country that they came from. They would still look like someone from the country from which they came. Right, but that doesn't mean you wouldn't say to that person, excuse me, you have an accent, I do not think you are a New Zealand citizen. If you did say that, we would call you a bigot and ask you to please change your behavior prompto. Right? We'd say, that's not how we do things in New Zealand. We embrace people from other countries. Please get on board with what we're doing. Right? See, but so often in life, we are discouraged. We're distracted. We're torn down by the fact that our status has changed, and yet we maintain an accent. Our status has changed, and yet some of the things that we do, some of the ways in which we, we speak, some of the ways in which we behave aren't right. We can doubt our citizenship just because there are some areas in which we are weak. Right? See, we forget that it's a process to become who God has called you to be. See, we're what, we're what we call multifaceted people. That's a big word for a PM service. That's a big word for any service. Right? But basically what it means is we are three in one. We're spirit, body, and soul. There's a whole lot going on here. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're complicated. Right? If... if if you offended your neighbor, I apologize. I didn't realize it would happen. They are complicated. See, but what happens is when you put your faith in Jesus, when you put your faith in Jesus, you're transformed in an instant. When you choose to say, Jesus, I want to accept you into my life. Jesus, I accept your sacrifice on my behalf. I want you to be my God. I need to stop trying to be my own Savior. In an instant, you're saved. In an instant, you're free. In an instant, all the shame that you've been carrying, you no longer need to carry. All the sin that you've been carrying, you no longer need to take with you. You're a child of God, and you're blameless in His sight as soon as you make that decision. Right, but see, what happens is, is your body doesn't go through that, right? When you accept Jesus' sacrifice on your behalf and you pray that prayer, 
you might know this, you might have done it, you didn't get a six-pack. In fact, I've tried, there are no prayers to give you a six-pack. I had to get mine through hard work. <laughs> I don't have a six-pack. See, but we've got to wait until heaven for our new body. <laughs> we've got to wait We've got to wait until heaven, until our body is, is perfected. Most of us, unless you're Alistair, and you're perfect now. And no, <laughs> and you, and you. Right, but see, it doesn't happen in a moment. And that doesn't shock us. No one's like, Jesus, I accept you into my heart, amen. Come on, what's going on? I, I heard that when I prayed this prayer, I would have arms like putty. Why? I don't understand. But yet, we get, tripped up when our soul isn't transformed. See, our soul is the word that we use for your mind, your will, your thoughts, and your emotions, but it also contains the pain of your past, your hurts, your disappointments, your insecurities. See, over time, your soul is transformed until you become who you were made to be. So God takes the Israelites through the wilderness so that they can get the imperfections, the hurts, and the disappointments so that they can get the Egypt out of them. He takes them through the wilderness so that they can be perfected. They can be purified. I know for me that God has taken me through my own wildernesses, my own rough times so that I can learn more about who God is to me. He's allowed me to feel like I have, I have lost everything, that I have no resources, that I have nothing of myself to rely on so that I can learn to understand that my hope and understanding my resources and joy is all in God. See, these were, there were awesome things in the wilderness. When they're in the wilderness, they've got a cloud of fire with them at night and they've got a cloud of, of just like clouds during the day. Fire's better. Right, but they've got clothes that don't wear out. They've got sandals that don't wear out. They have food falling from heaven every morning to feed them. It's a pretty good place to be. It's a pretty impressive place to be. You would think that after God has brought them out of Egypt and every morning they should get up and worship God. You would think that they'd be like, God, this is amazing. This is the best. We love you. But instead, they start complaining and saying, we want to go back to Egypt. God, that place that we cried out for 400 years for you to save us from, we would like to go back there, please. Which is crazy because in Egypt, they were slaves. In Egypt, they were whipped. In Egypt, they had no rights. In Egypt, they were killed. In Egypt, they cried out every day to be freed from Egypt. And here they are in the wilderness, in the wild, complaining, saying, God, take us back. But before we start to judge the Israelites, we need to realize that we do the same thing. What makes you go back? What makes the man who saw alcohol destroy his family pick up the bottle? What makes a person who's been bullied their entire life turn to someone and become the bully? What makes the person who's been hurt by lies turn to someone and start to deceive them even though they love them? What happens when the person who, who loved so much and had their heart broken turns around and breaks someone else's heart? What happens when the person who relied on their own strength, who thought that they could do it, who thought that they could hold everything together and everything fell apart, they met God and yet a couple of years down the track, they're trying to do everything on their own again. See, this is the frustration of freedom. 
It's easier to walk in what's familiar than it is to walk by faith. It's easier to walk with what's familiar, walk with what you've always known, than it is to walk into the unknown. But see, you can't go back. See, if you're here tonight, either now you've known, you know God, or by the end of tonight, I pray that you will know God. And you'll know that He loves you. And you, you'll know that He's transformed you. You'll know that He's called you. you know that He has a plan and a purpose for you. And you can't go back. You can't walk back into the slavery because that's not what you're made for. That's not what you're called for. All you'll find there is hurt. I know right now maybe the leeks look attractive. Maybe the fish, maybe the meat, maybe the temptations of what you had when you were there look better than what you have at the moment. But remember the whip. Remember the nights that you cried. Remember the pain in your heart. Remember the torment that you carried. And remember that what you're going through now, the stretch, the refinement, the perfection, that's for a reason. What you suffered before isn't. Choose the pain. You know, Pastor Sam has this awesome saying, you can choose the pain of staying the same or you can choose the pain of changing. Either way, you're going to hurt. Either way, it's going to be tough, but you can choose. Do you choose the pain of going back to Egypt, of going back into slavery, of going back into losing the things that you hold most dear, losing your freedom, losing hope? Or do you choose the pain of walking forward in the wild, of being uncomfortable, of being in a space of stretch, of being in a space of, of, of being torn apart, but knowing that you can rely on God, knowing that He meets you in that space? You need to realize that your destiny is so much more powerful than your history. Just keep walking. And see, I know that's hard. I know that that's tough. It's easy to jump and run, but sometimes it's hard to just keep trusting and being consistent. See, as I finish, if I could just get the band up. There's a story that, that I think illustrates this perfectly. It's a story about a police dog. Right, and, and one day, this police dog who'd been on the force for a long time was, was helping the, the police apprehend a criminal. And this dog was chasing down this criminal. And as it was chasing this criminal, it was hit by a car. Right, and, and, and the dog's leg was broken. Its hind legs were broken. And so the dog had to walk by just using his front legs and his hind legs dragged behind. Right, and the dog was, was healed, the dog was fine, they took it to the vet. It couldn't be a police dog anymore, but it was looked after. And as a part of the rest of its life, it had a litter of pups. And these puppies were born, and when they started to learn how to walk, they didn't use their back legs. They didn't use their back legs because what they'd seen their mother doing was to not use her back legs. They didn't realize that their legs worked fine that her legs had been hurt in an injury, but their legs were perfectly capable of walking. And, and the owners of the dog had the hardest time teaching these dogs that, yes, your back legs do work. Yes, you actually can walk. You can run. You can jump. You can do all these things that at the moment you don't think that you can do. See, God has to do the same thing with us. We're born into slavery. We're born into sin. We're born into a world that is messed up, and somewhere along the way, you're bound to have been hurt. You're bound to have something broken. You're bound to have been beat up a little bit, and you think that something of you doesn't work. 
I could never do that. I could never trust God for this. I could never step out into this place. I could never stop doing this. God wants to teach you that he's healed that. That the the hurts that you've come across while in slavery, you're not a slave anymore. You're a free man. You've been freed and you can do everything that someone who's been freed can do. You're not confined by slavery anymore. And so our behavior doesn't need to look like the behavior of a slave. Every day, God wants to teach you what you're made for. But it's our daily choice. It's our choice if we want to stay in Egypt or to embrace the promised land. Every day, it's our choice. You see, tonight we're, we're gonna do a few things, but the first thing that I wanna do is I just want everyone to bow their heads and to close their eyes. See, because you might be here tonight and you might have heard me talking about freedom, talking about being a slave and being made into a free man, that you no longer have to live in Egypt, that you're an Israelite in the promised land. But you've never known what it is to be set free. We talk about peace and love and hope found in Jesus and these words are just words to you. See, tonight I wanna give you the opportunity to accept the sacrifice that Jesus has already given on your behalf. You're not asking Jesus to do anything he hasn't already done. He's taken your sin upon him. It's just your choice to give it. So tonight, if you're here and you're sick of being in slavery, you're sick of being stuck, you're sick of being oppressed, you're sick of not having your rights, you're sick of being a person who's hurt and who has to do everything on their own, If that's you here tonight and you wanna accept the sacrifice that Jesus has given for you, if you wanna accept your freedom, if you wanna step through the Red Sea and onto the other side like the Israelite people did, I just want you to raise your hand. Awesome, I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand.